Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 this morning, we're going to continue to, to work through the book of Acts. And of course, this is our third Sunday, so we'll be able to uh, observe the Lord's Supper together here in just a few moments. And that's always a wonderful and special time for our church family to do that. And, and before we get there, I just want to, I want to share a very practical word of encouragement for you this morning. And it comes from the book of Acts chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 22. And the title of the message this morning is, God Makes the Ordinary Extraordinary. God Makes the Ordinary Extraordinary. Let's go ahead and read the passage, and we will jump in together. Acts chapter 4, I'm going to begin in verse 13 this morning. Acts 4.13, it says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, I love Peter, and this is what he says. But Peter and John answered them, <clears throat> Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign was healing, sign of healing was performed, was more than 40 years old. God makes the ordinary extraordinary. Uh, right now in our culture, in our entertainment culture, there's a genre of movies that is dominating the box office. It's the superhero movies. Some of you may be fans of those superhero movies. Some of you may not be fans of superhero movies. I've seen a good many of them having young children. You know, they're, they're very interested in that, and sometimes we'll go to these movies and watch them. And, and it's just amazing to see how much money these movies, these Avenger movies, and uh, Captain America, and Iron Man, and Superman, and Batman, and all these superheroes. And I, I began to think and wonder, why is it that these movies, these superhero movies are so popular? And I think, you know, getting in touch with my inner boy as a, as a little bitty boy, when you grow up kind of reading comic books or watching cartoons or watching these movies and these superhero stories, there's something within every one of us that wants to be great. There's something within every one of us that wants to be super. We want to be a hero. And I think God has created us with that kind of a sense of something that is greater than ourselves, and we're drawn to that. And I think that's one of the reasons why these movies have become so very popular. My favorite superhero is Captain America. <laughs> He's my favorite. Uh, and y'all may not know anything about Captain America, but I, just real briefly, I'll share this. It's very relevant to our message, I promise you. But Captain America was this little wimpy guy named Steve Rogers back in World War II. And he just wanted to go fight the Nazis. He wanted to go fight the Germans. He had the heart of a lion, this courageous heart. 
but he just could not pass the physical requirements to get into the army. He would try over and over and over again. He would try to lie. He would try to do whatever he could do just so that he can enlist and enroll in the military, and they would reject him and turn him down over and over and over again. But it was through his persistence that somebody caught notice of him, and they said, hey, this might be the guy that we can use this experimental formula on, this experimental uh, treatment to give him this special serum and basically turn this little, wimpy, small guy into a superhero. And, of course, that's the story of how Captain America was born. He became from being just this ordinary, nobody, really weak kid to becoming the greatest superhero who ever lived. And I think that's a very good illustration about what we find right here in the Scriptures when it comes to Peter and John. And and, and let's take it even a step further. How does that apply to you and me today? Because many of us are sitting out there today, and I know this is what's going through your head. How can God use me? I'm, I'm not that special. I'm just an ordinary person. And I hope and pray that today's message will really resonate with you because I want you to see that if you are willing and open to what God has in store for your life, he will take you and he will do wonderful and extraordinary things through your life. And we're going to look practically at how that should apply to your life this morning. And so there's, there's kind of a, an approach to preaching. I want you guys to kind of hold on with me because Whenever I preach or whenever anybody preaches, you have to have a couple of different audiences in mind. And primarily, two, you're preaching, number one, to the church, to those people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ or those who have been redeemed. And then also there's a message that should be for those who have yet to come to know Jesus Christ. So the people who are still maybe separated from God or they have not trusted Jesus Christ yet, the Spirit of God has not taken up residence in their life. And so there are, in every audience, I have to understand as a preacher, there's both people in here. There are people who know Jesus and there's people who may not know Jesus yet. But this message really can be applied to both of you. But I will say, just as a disclaimer at the beginning, that this is really primarily, the very, the very primary application goes to believers. And the reason I say that is because it's just like that serum that Steve Rogers had to get infused into his body to create this superhero, this Captain America figure that he became. Without that serum, he was not going to be used and he was not going to be extraordinary. Well, guess what? We have a supernatural serum. His name is the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit first coming into your life and being joined with your spirit and infusing into your being, you cannot be the extraordinary person that God intends and created you to be. So without the Holy Spirit, again, that's the first step in any relationship with God is also understanding that we must be saved, we must be born again, we must be uh, redeemed, and the Spirit of God will come to live and dwell within us And then he works in and through us to make us into the extraordinary people that he called and created us to be. So keep that in mind as I share this message this morning. But but that doesn't mean if you're yet to know, if you yet to know Jesus this morning or you're not in a relationship with him this morning, you still have the hope and the promise of the gospel, which is offered to you today freely for you to say now could be the day that you become that person by trusting in Jesus Christ, giving your life to him, allowing him to come and live into your life and give you the power that you need to become the person that he created you to be. So don't lose that as we walk through this passage together. All right, now let's get into the the scripture. There's, There's a couple of lies that I think we believe about ourselves that will hinder us and limit us from being used of God. 
And I want to share some of those misconceptions or some of those lies this morning. I hope I will encourage you to eliminate those excuses and, and, and defeat those lies in your heart and in your mind this morning so that you can maybe begin to move forward and be the person that God has called you to be. The first is this. God can use you in spite of your past failures and sins. God can still use you in spite of your past failures and sins. I think one of the debilitating aspects of many Christians today, people who are saved, they have a relationship with Jesus, but they're just not serving Jesus to the capacity that they could be. They're not very much open to the possibilities that all God has for them is because they are still living a defeated life, being bound by their past sins and failures, by guilt, by shame, where the devil comes in constantly, relentlessly trying to plague our minds and our hearts to remind us of who we once were or the things that we've once done or the past mistakes and failures and how we've, blew, we've blown it so many times in the past. And because of that, the enemy will use that against you to keep you paralyzed and keep you sidelined from really being the person and the, and the Christian that God has called you to be. Now, let's not forget who's speaking here in Acts chapter 4. This is Peter, Peter and John. Now, if we just were to, to rewind a little bit about a couple of months before this event happened in Acts chapter 4, guess where we would find Peter? We would find Peter and outside of the temple courts, and as they took Jesus in and arrested Jesus, and they began to take him through all of these trials and take him through all of these mock accusations and things that Jesus had to go through, Peter followed Jesus, but then when as he was confronted, how many times? Three different times, Peter had an opportunity to speak boldly, to be a follower and identify himself with Jesus Christ. Well, guess what Peter did? He says, I don't know that guy. And it got to the point where Peter even starts cussing. He says he's bringing down curses from heaven. And by the time they asked him the last time, aren't you that Galilean? Aren't you the one who's been a follower of Jesus? He starts cussing these people out and saying, leave me alone. I don't know that guy. And he denied him three times. What a failure. And so, of course, we know now, <clears throat> on this side of the resurrection, after everything changed in Peter's life, after everything changed in the disciples' life, they saw Jesus go to the cross. They saw now Jesus being raised from the dead. Of course, that changed everything. And we know in John, in the Gospel of John, we know that beautiful story where Jesus restores Peter. And that, that's a very important passage of Scripture where Jesus takes Peter aside. And he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? And Peter had an, a second chance. And can we say this morning, thank God, that God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Because if any of us were here today and we were waiting or if God were waiting on us to be perfect people or to not have any skeletons in the closet or to not have any past failures or sins or not have any struggles from our past to use us, then he would be waiting forever, wouldn't he? I mean, there would be no eligible people for God to use if he was waiting for the perfect person to use. There's only one perfect person who's ever lived. His name is Jesus. Every, all the rest of us, we all fall into the same boat. I mean, if we began to look at our past and the mistakes and the failures and the things that we've made in our past, all of us, I'm sure, would be able to share plenty of things that we regret, plenty of things that we did to hurt other people, to hurt ourselves, to hurt our families, to hurt our witness, sins, mistakes, bad decisions, you name it, <clears throat> we've done it. But isn't that what the Bible is all about? Think about all of the people 
in the scriptures that God has used. Moses, he was a murderer. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Rahab was a prostitute. Samson was a womanizer. Jacob, man, Jacob, he was a liar. He was a cheater. Think about Paul, the Apostle Paul himself. He was a persecutor of the church. He was the biggest opponent to Jesus Christ on the planet. And God said, I got better plans for you, Paul. And, and, it, and it cost Paul because of some of the consequences because the early church, they, they kind of were hesitant to receive Paul at the beginning because they knew who he once was. But over time, as he proven himself faithful that Jesus Christ had really changed his life, Paul was used mightily of God. Do you think if anybody had reason to doubt if they could be used by God, it would have been somebody like Paul or Moses or David? And yet, we all sit here today just like those men just like those women with past sins and past failures and past struggles. And some of us are letting those things keep us and hinder us from serving God faithfully today. Speaking of the Apostle Paul, think about what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to read this passage to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 9 and 11. Listen to the words of Paul. He's writing to believers in Corinth. And listen to what he says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. Paul was saying in this big category of sinners, if you want to start laying out a category of sinners, all the things that we could be uh, practicing sin... Paul said, many of you were these people. Many of you were practicing these sins before you came to Jesus Christ. But listen to what he says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the key. He says, such were some of you. Now, I'm not a grammar student, but that tells me what tense is that in. That's past. The very same Paul who would say in the book of Philippians that I must press on toward the goal, forgetting what is behind me and pressing on forward to the goal, which is Christ Jesus. See, Paul had to remind himself regularly, I have to admit, I would, I would believe, regularly had to remind himself that if I remember who the, the Saul of Tarsus was and remember who I once was, I'm not going to be able to really press on and fulfill the mission that God has for me. And you and I are in the very same way today. If you're still here and you're hindered and you're bound and you are held captive by the shame or the guilt or the struggles of your past sins and failures, you're not going to be able to be used by God effectively. Now, I have to be careful here because there is a distinction there is a difference between practicing sin and then struggling with sin. You see, we, I'm not talking about a license to sin. I'm not saying that here we are today, and if you're just living in unconfessed, uh, uh, you know, unhindered sin in your life, there's an issue, there's a problem. That's not, Christians do not, cannot just live perpetually over and over and over again and practice sin without some sense of conviction and repentance in their life. If you're just living in that lifestyle and embracing that lifestyle and you're just not trying, you don't have any conviction about that lifestyle, there's something wrong. That's evidence that the Spirit of God may not be in you. 
Y'all understand what I'm saying? So we have to be careful. I'm not saying this is a license to sin, but what I am saying is that once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, this is what Paul says. He says, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that all of your sin, once you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you put your faith in him, he took you, he, he took you exactly as you were, sin and all, struggle and all, failure and all. He said, I'll take you, I'll receive you, and I will forgive you. I will justify you. In other words, you will be considered not guilty. You will be considered clean before the Lord. As God looks upon you now, he does not see the old person who does he see? He sees the new man in Christ Jesus. He sees the new woman in Christ Jesus. And that's fundamentally why we must understand the gospel, that if we understand that we're justified, that we've been washed, that we've been cleansed, that we've been forgiven, that all of our sin, past, present, and future, has been brought to the cross of Jesus Christ and dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ, then that should set us free to then turn around and serve Jesus in freedom and in faithfulness, knowing that there's nothing that we can do to lose that standing with God. There's not. I believe in the assurance and the security of the believer. That means that if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you've been born again, you've been justified before God, you've been declared not guilty, you've been adopted into his family, there's nothing that you can do to lose that. Well, then some people say, well, Brother Marcus, then I can go and live however you want to live. No, that means that Jesus loves you so much, you should never want to sin against him again. That's what that means. It means when we understand the gravity of how much Christ has forgiven us, we should never want to hurt him again. We should never want to disobey him again because of that great love that he's shown us on the cross. That's the gospel. And if Peter and John had allowed their past failures and sins to define them. And I think that's the key word. Do not let your past sin, do not let your past failure define who you are. I had somebody once tell me a very wise thing. It says, do not let the worst moment of your life define who you are. Because if we allow our worst moments of our lives to define who we are, we'll never get past it. We'll never get past it. That's the first thing that I hope and pray this morning that you can overcome is that no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done in the past, if you are in Christ Jesus today, the past is the past, your sin has been forgiven, your sin has been atoned for, you can forget what is behind and you can press forward to what is ahead and God will use you just like he has used so many other people who have so many other struggles and flaws and sins just like you and me. Number two, is that God can use you in spite of your social position or level of education. God can use you in spite of your social position or your level of education. I think this is so very, very important. Some of us are allowing where we are socioeconomically to, to hinder us, thinking that, you know, you've got to be in some class to be used by God. Some of you are allowing the fact that maybe you don't have a, a very... Um, qualified education to hold you back from serving God, thinking that I'm just not smart enough for God to use somebody like me. All of those are lies. All of those are lies. Look at what it says about Peter and John. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. So, so think about the context here. Peter and John, these are just some, some country folk, fishermen, Blue collar, okay? 
And they're sitting in front of the highest court in Israel. They're sitting in front of the most intellectual group of people that Israel had to offer. These were men that had PhDs for their PhDs. These are men who had all of the knowledge and all of the educational training that you could possibly gain and gather in that day. And here you have Peter and John who are just some fishermen. And they looked down on them condescendingly. They said, these are just uneducated, ordinary men, but they were still astonished. Why? Because they knew that they had been with Jesus. They knew that they had been power of the Spirit of God living and dwelling within them, changed, made ordinary men into extraordinary men. Now, this, this word uneducated, it is uh, agrammatitai, and it can be used in the Greek to mean illiterate. So this word can have the connotation that when they said that they were uneducated men, they could have said they were illiterate men. Now, I don't believe that's what they were talking about in this case. Why? Because Pete, we know Peter wrote a book. It's called 1 Peter and 2 Peter. John did what? Wrote, wrote a gospel. He wrote the book of it, Revelation under the inspiration. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we know that these men were literate. We know these men could read and write, but they were uneducated. In other words, they probably had the equivalent of maybe an 8th grade or even maybe a, a, maybe a, a high school education, comparatively speaking, in their day. So they were not there to win a, a theological or an intellectual argument with these men. They couldn't possibly argue, out-debate these men. The Sanhedrin, the, the chief priests, the, the lawyers, the scribes, all the most intellectual men. They couldn't out-debate them, but they didn't have to out-debate them because they had been with Jesus. And when you've been with Jesus, there's something special about you. And these men were very much astonished at these men. And so we know that in, in Jewish culture in the first century, most devout Jews could read and write. Now, I've read a lot of different research about you know, what was the literacy rate of Jewish people back in the first century, and some will come back and say that a very, very small percentage of people could read and write. But we know from Jewish culture that if you were a devout Jewish uh, family, you, you upheld and you honored the Torah, the law. And if you upheld and honored the Torah, you most definitely honored literacy because it was part of their custom and their family tradition to read the Torah together as a family and study it. And there are also other um, uh, scholars that would go as far as saying that ch Jewish children, devout Jewish children, would memorize the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They would commit it to memory as young children. By the time they reached their age of their bar mitzvah, or their age of 12 years old, they would be required to memorize the entire first five books of the Bible. So that, that I think Jewish culture cannot be compared to some of the other ancient pagan cultures because I think Jewish culture, they were pretty literate in their day. So Peter and John, they could read, they could write, but again, I just want to emphasize, they did, not have any they did not have any theological training, they did not have any PhD, they didn't have a master's degree in theology, none of that stuff matters. And some of you are sitting out there today and you're thinking, well, Brother Marcus, you have a master's degree in theology. That's why you can go and be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's why you can preach and teach the Word of God. But that does not hinder you from doing whatever it is that God has called you to do if you have been with Jesus. If you're spending time with Jesus, if you're cultivating a relationship with Jesus, if you're reading the Word of Jesus, if you're praying to Jesus faithfully, if you're serving Jesus, other people will be astonished at what God can do through you regardless of your educational background. 
Now, the, the other side of that is that we know Peter in 1 Peter 3.15, he was not an anti-intellectual. Just because these men didn't have PhDs doesn't mean that they were anti-thinking. And this is where I think our church, the church, has fallen into a trap over the last several generations. The church has been accused of becoming anti-intellectual. In other words, when you ask the normal Christian, why do you believe the Bible? Well, because my mama told me to. Or, or, you know, why are you a Christian? Well, because the Bible, because I believe the Bible. Why do you believe the Bible? Well, I, because my pastor told me to. If we can't answer anybody beyond that, we're, we're not really doing a very good job of being intellectual, being able to give a reasonable defense of our faith. Peter himself said in 1 Peter 3, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who may ask you for the reason of the hope that is within you. Amen. That word Peter says a reason, he said, give a defense, give an apologetic to, to give an answer to people when they want to get a little bit deeper. They want to know not just what you believe, but why you believe it. If you're here today and you can't give an answer as to why you're a Christian, then we got some work to do. Because all we're doing is we're, we're giving more fuel to the fire of, of, the, of the godless culture around us that says all you Christians are just, just anti-intellectual, anti-progressive. Y'all are not in touch with reality. Y'all are not in touch with science, all of these kind of things. And let me tell you something. We're, 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 the stereotype can hold true if we're not careful. Because the, the God I know says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your, all your mind. Don't check your brains at the door just because you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith is a reasonable faith. It is a logical faith. As a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody just about this yesterday. And we were kind of debating about why I do believe the Bible, why I am a Christian. I said, if you can give me any other belief system in the world that is coherent and conforms to reality, I'll listen up. But until then, this book right here gives us every explanation and answer that I can tell that conforms and is coherent with the reality in which we live. It makes sense. It's a reasonable faith, scientifically, historically, all the way around. So Peter and John were by no means anti-intellectual, but they were idiots. The reason I say that is because the other word that they use, common men, you know, in the Greek, it's idiotai, which we get our word what? Idiot. That's the connotation. They were just ordinary Simple, blue-collar men. Nothing special. They were hardworking. They had not grown up with the perks and privileges of the rich and famous or the highly educated. I'm an idiot. Most of you out here are, are right. I'm not going to call you an idiot. <laughs> but most of us out here, what are, we're just common people, aren't we? We're just ordinary people. We go to work. We work hard. We love our families. We try to do what's right. Very few of us are pursuing super theological PhDs and degrees. That's okay. God can still use you. He wants to still use you. I didn't hear, I wasn't here several weeks ago when Brother John preached uh, first Sunday in May. He shared a little bit about his testimony, but he was telling me a little bit about it, and y'all can probably attest to it. And I think he said something along these lines. If God can use me, he can use what? He can use anybody. 
Okay, good old brother John, good old country boy from North Tennessee, and God called him to preach, and now we look up almost 50 years later, God's been using him faithfully in the ministry, and he would tell you, he'd be the first to tell you, there's really nothing special about me, but it's the power of God in me that has allowed me to be the preacher and the pastor that I have been because he is just an ordinary, common man. And so are you. So do not let that or hinder you from being the person that God has called you to be. Somebody like a Billy Graham who grew up just as a farm boy in the mountains of North Carolina. And we know what God did through him and his ministry. But if he had allowed his, his upbringing to hinder him to think, how can God use me? I'm just a common farm boy from the mountains of North Carolina. I'm nobody special. Exactly. That's who God is looking for. He's looking for a lot of nobody specials. Because unfortunately, when we have a lot of talents and, and intellect and knowledge and all these things, you know what happens? A lot of times that knowledge begins to puff us up and we become very arrogant and we become very prideful. And unfortunately, God is opposed to whom? To the proud. So God said, I don't need you. I don't need all your intellect. I don't need all your talents and abilities. I'd rather go work with this guy over here who's humble, who will allow me to work through him and in him, and he'll give me all the glory for it. So that when you do, when God does work through you and me, common, even uneducated, ordinary people, then other people are astonished because they know that it wasn't you to begin with. It was who? It was God working through you. And then, therefore, we don't get the glory, but he does. So don't let your past sins and failures and mistakes keep you from serving God and from being a witness for God. Don't let the fact that maybe you're not the most educated person or you may not know everything about the Bible. Now, again, let me go back and say, you need to learn as much as you can about the Bible. You do need to know why you believe the Bible. It should be a lifelong study that we would never give up and we are always growing in the knowledge and the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, don't let that hinder you from serving God today. That's not an excuse anymore. Number three, God can use you in spite of your personality, your circumstances, or your abilities. I mean, Peter and John were being threatened right here to be imprisoned or maybe even to lose their life. God still used them. I think about Paul and Silas thrown into prison, had been beaten nearly to death, and they're sitting in the jail cell in the middle of night, and they're singing praises to God, and there's a great earthquake. God shakes that whole jail upside down, and the jailer comes to them just in awe of what God is doing in the midst of their worst circumstances. And what did the jailer come to Paul say? What must I do to be saved? Right there in the middle of the worst possible circumstances they could be in, God used them to lead the jailer and his whole family to Jesus Christ. So that's not an excuse. Well, you, know, you may be saying, I'm just in a very tough season of life. I, I just don't have, I'm just too tired. I'm worn out. I don't have enough time. Uh, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm, I'm sick right now. I'm not, I'm not in good health right now. Or I'm, I'm just a very financially burdened right now. I'm just in a very bad situation. I'm in a very bad circumstance in life. That's not an excuse. Because God can still and will still use you in the midst of very difficult circumstances in spite of it all. If we'll allow him. He'll use you in spite of your personality. What about Moses? Moses had a stuttering problem. Lord, I can't go speak to your people. I can't even speak well publicly. I'm ashamed. I, I stutter when I, when I, I get nervous when I start to speak. God said, who made your mouth? Go, I'll speak for you. David was just a little shepherd boy that nobody even paid any attention to. When Samuel went to anoint the next king of Israel, he, was still, he wasn't even in the, in the running for consideration. 
And finally, God said, no, that's the one. He's a man after my own heart. Jeremiah and Josiah, these were just young men, youths, teenagers. I think about our, our students out here, those of you who are in high school, and you may be sitting back thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm too young for God to use me. No, you're not too young for God to use you. God wants to use you right now, right where you are, to be in light and to impact the people that are around you. You don't wait until you get to be 30 or 40 years old to start making a difference for Christ. You do it right now. Abraham was too old. Some of you are sitting out there thinking, man, my day is done. I've paid my dues. I'm just too old to do anything for Christ. No, you're not. In spite of your ability, in spite of your circumstances, in spite of where you are in your season of life, God still can and wants to use you. Naomi was a widow. We may have some single moms out there. How can I do it? I'm a single mom. I'm trying to do everything that I can to raise my family. How can God use somebody like me? Well, number one, he can use you in the life of that child. For starters, and you be faithful with that, and there's all kind of other possibilities and, and, and opportunities for God to use you no matter where you are, even if you think that he can't. Martha was a warrior, a, a, a worrier. Joseph was sold into slavery and abused. Think about Joseph. There's so many examples throughout church history where God used people in spite of their personality, their circumstances, or their abilities. My father-in-law was one of those people. He went to be with the Lord in 2012. And I'll just share a little bit about his story because I think maybe it'll resonate with you. But my father-in-law grew up poor, dirt poor, didn't have very much of a formal education. He had to work the fields all throughout the fall. He would miss, he would miss considerable amounts of schooling in the fall and the spring because his family had to farm. They had to live off of that. He had a learning disability. He was dyslexic. So he didn't have any confidence. He could read and he could write, but he didn't have a lot of confidence, especially if you were asking him. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why he kind of stopped going to church as he got older, because people would ask him to read in Sunday school, and he was, and he, it would embarrass him so much because he was just dyslexic. He didn't know why he couldn't see the letters all line up right, but they just wouldn't. And so, therefore, he was just like, well, I don't want to have to be embarrassed and have to read in front of people. And so, from, from the worldly perspective, you may look at somebody like that and say, well, you know, he wasn't that effective of a Christian. And yet, as I stand before you today, if you want to see a man who walked and lived with the fruit of the Holy Spirit in his life every single day, that was my father-in-law. Godly man. Kind, generous, loving. He was a faithful husband. He was a faithful father. He, would, he loved his children. He, he was an honest man at how he did his job day after day after day after day. So that's a perfect example that regardless of a man who grew up poor, he didn't have a great education, he maybe couldn't read and write, didn't have a lot of confidence in reading and studying the Bible. However, God still used him right where he was. And that may be, some, for some of us, that may be your highest calling in life. Just be a faithful husband and a faithful father. If we could just get that right, I think the church would, would completely come alive again. Just be a faithful wife, be a faithful mother. Sometimes we just need to start right there and say, be a faithful grandparent where you are and invest in your family. Sometimes we miss that. We, we run around doing, trying to do all these other things for ministry, and we forget to minister to our own families. But God can use you, and he wants to use you. And finally, God can use your testimony if you're willing to share it. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, 
you have a testimony. And I've, I've spoken here several times about the power of a personal testimony, a personal story. But what good is your story if you're not willing to share it? Do you, do you know the story of the person sitting next to you? Do you know the personal testimony of the people in your Sunday school class, in your small group? We should know each other's stories, and other people should know your story because your story is one of the greatest gifts that God has given you to make a difference and to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter and John said. It says, he says, they're standing before the Sanhedrin. They know that they can be thrown into prison. They might even be killed. And Peter basically says, look, you're going to have to judge whether or not what we did was of God or not. But here's the, here's the bottom line, gentlemen. We cannot help but speak of what we know and what we have seen and what we have heard. They didn't have a choice. It's like we know Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We witnessed the death of Jesus Christ. We witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now we witness the coming of the Holy Spirit who lives in us now. We have a story. We know Jesus. We have a testimony. And you can judge us however you want to judge us, but we cannot help but share what we have seen and what we have heard. Is that you? If you can't do anything else, you can still what? can still share your testimony. So, what's the last thing? Now, see what I just did in a very crafty way is that I just eliminated all your excuses. Right? I did. No matter what your past, you got a shady past, join the club. You got some personal limitations or you don't have the best education, guess what? No excuse. You can go through this whole list. Everything that we just talked about, I just eliminated all your excuses. So when it comes down to it, if we've eliminated all your excuses as to why you're not being a bold witness for Jesus Christ, then really I think it boils down to two things. Two things. You're either self-serving or you're faithless. That's tough, isn't it? I, I, I really, I, I prayed and I thought about what, what does it really get down to? What's the, really, what's the root cause of why we are not confident in our relationship with Christ, confident to be a witness for Jesus Christ? And the only thing that I could come up with were these two things. We're either too self-centered and self-serving, or we lack faith. Too self-serving, or we lack faith. Jesus says, a man cannot serve two masters because he will love one and hate the other. Jesus said, deny yourself, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. So what it boils down to when it comes to are we too self-serving, are we too self-centered, it comes down to this, is that it's our wants and our dreams and our plans and our future and our life, it's our thing as opposed to God's will and God's future and God's plans and God's thing. See, some of us today, we're, we're, we would like to make all these excuses, but, but it really just comes down to the fact that we want to cover up this glaring reality that we just don't want to make ourselves available to God because we know if that we really make ourselves open and available to God, well, God may actually ask me to do something that I don't want to do. That's what it boils down to. Is that God may actually ask me to go somewhere that I what? I don't want to go. God may actually ask me to give up something 
that I just don't want to let go of. And so if we're not careful because we're so self-serving and we're so afraid to let go or to really trust God or really open ourselves up to the possibilities of what God has for us, then we, keep, we continue to hold on to these things. We continue to be masters of our own lives, captains of our own destiny. Basically, we become our own gods in that sense. We call the shots. We determine our future. We lay out our plans. We, it's, it's mine. It's my life, my future, my family, my career, my things. It all becomes me instead of him. And when we do that, we're completely cutting ourselves off from the possibility and the, and the availability to be used of God. The other side to that is that it may not be a self-serving thing. You know what it may be? It may be you're afraid. Do you know what the opposite of fear is? Faith. If you are afraid, then you lack what? Faith. If, we're, if we lack faith, it's impossible to please God. Isn't that what the Bible says? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So some of you may be out there today and you're just afraid. And, and what do you, you say, well, what am I afraid of? This may be what you're afraid of. Maybe you don't believe, maybe by a lack of faith, you don't have the faith to believe that your eternal rewards are far greater than what you can gain temporarily in the pleasures and comforts of this life. Some of us are so unwilling to believe that God actually has something better and greater for me. Now, that doesn't mean prosperity gospel. I'm not telling you that if you believe in Jesus and you name it and claim it, he's going to give you the boat and the house and the vacation home that you've always dreamed of. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about eternal rewards. You may have a very difficult life. You may go through suffering. You may go through challenges and struggle. But God has promised you a day when you will be rewarded eternally. And we're afraid and we don't have the faith that what God says is true. And we're saying, you know what? I still want to hold on to the things of this world. I don't want to let go of the things of this world, not believing that God has something far greater for us in the next. That's a lack of faith. We don't believe that souls are hanging in the balance and eternal destinies are at stake. For some reason, it's like we, our mind goes numb and we forget that what we're about when it comes to the gospel and being on mission with Jesus Christ is that there are people all around us every single day in this world, in Bartlett, Tennessee, in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your workplace, and they're lost. And like Steve prayed just a while ago, if we're not telling them about Jesus, then who else is going to tell them? And we forget that if God wants to use us as an instrument of good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can tell people so that maybe they would get saved and spend an eternity in heaven. What's more important than that? We don't believe that God knows best, that he has a better plan for our life. We don't believe that serving life, excuse me, serving God fully is more satisfying than our own plans. You see, some of us are still caught in that in-between place where we think we know what's best and we think we know what's going to fulfill us and make us happy and that God doesn't really know what's best and that if we serve God fully, then we're not going to be really satisfied. You know, it's that old lie that God's holding something back from us. That's what, the, that's what Satan told Adam and Eve in the beginning, didn't he? He says, God's trying to keep something back from you. That's a lie. It comes down to faith. I'm going to ask our, our worship team to kind of start making their way up here because we're going to kind of wrap this up and we're going to lead into the Lord's Supper and that's kind of how we're going to finish our time together 
this morning. But, but I'm going to finish with this, and I just want you all to hang on to me, okay? This is our last thing. If you are willing to make yourself available to God and trust his heart and his will, he can and will use you to do extraordinary things for his glory. All of the excuses that we covered at the beginning, they're they're done. There there are no more excuses there. So if you're struggling with self-centeredness, and all of us do that, don't we? Or if you're struggling with unbelief, all of us do that as well. Then you know what the answer to that is? Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Ask God to forgive you. And ask God to restore you. And say, God, I want you to take this self-centered nature away from me. Keep making me less selfish and more for you. God, take this spirit of unbelief away from me. Give me more faith. God, give me more faith. I want to trust you. I want to believe you. I want to be used by you. Because I have to believe that most of you out there really want to be used by God. And and you're being used by God on some level. But don't we want to be used by God on a greater level? Don't you? I know I do. I don't, I don't want to cap out at some limit. I want God to use me at such a greater level and greater capacity, and I want all of you to have that very same desire. So if, if, there's, if there's something more that you desire in your heart to be able to serve God and be able to take it to the next level, then maybe we just need to spend time with God and confess these sins of self-centeredness or the sin of unbelief and say, God, I'm sorry, but I know that you can restore me and forgive me and use me. Now, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his disciples and he told them, he said, he had told them, he said, I'm about to go to the cross and I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice for you so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be set free. I'm going to, I will raise from the dead, I'll be raised from the dead on the third day. And Jesus is telling them this and, and the disciples, maybe they didn't grasp everything, but as they sat there on that last Passover night, Jesus did something amazing. He, he, he established what we call today the Lord's Supper. And he told him, he said, do this to remember me as long as you live until I come back. So there's one thing, at least one thing we know the church should continue to do. Every single week, every year, as much as we possibly can, until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And that is taking the elements of the Lord's Supper. And as we do that, I just want us to reflect and remember what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. That's what this time is all about, is to remember the cross, is to remember what Jesus Christ did for you. He sacrificed himself. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sin. And that should never get old. And that should always resonate with you and with me. So we're going to sing a song, and as we begin to sing... We're going we're gonna to have our, uh, our elders and our ushers come on up to the tables. If you guys want to go ahead and make your way up. And if you need to spend a little time with God in prayer, maybe you need to have some interaction with God during this time, don't feel like you have to rush up here. Because I don't want to just rush up here and, and assume that everybody's okay. Maybe you need to sit, you sit back and do a little business with God. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to spend this moment with him. I'm about to pray for you. And then as we begin to sing and we begin to play... I want you guys to come up here and I want you guys to take the Lord's Supper in faith to to know that from this point forward, no matter where you've come from or where you've been, God can use you and he will. I want to see that. I want to see that more than ever. So let me pray for you. 
and we're going to go ahead and enter into our time of the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for sending your son Jesus to die. I thank you, Lord, that he shed his blood for us, that we may be forgiven and set free to go and to be the people you've created us to be and serve you faithfully, that you would do extraordinary things through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you are here today and you're